This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's sermon on the text, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 25, Jesus' uh, warning and teaching about the end of time, preached on the 25th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and for more information on the Luther Sermon Podcast or to hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postal, and I'm reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, a text and translation that's in the public domain. First, the Gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 25. Jesus said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let him who be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So far the Gospel lesson, Luther's Sermon. The Gospel lesson for today contains two parts. The first is a warning to those pious Christians who should live to see the destruction of Jerusalem, in order that they might know it beforehand and be enabled to escape from the calamity. The other is a warning that pertains especially to these last times in which we live, inasmuch as terrible heresies will be introduced in order that we may be prepared, may hold to the true doctrine, and beware of false prophets. Both of these warnings are necessary and in season, therefore we will study them with all diligence. Though the first has reference to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem 1,500 years ago, we may still derive from it the wholesome and comfortable doctrine that we should learn to love and honor the word of God and to live according to it, especially as God in such great wrath has punished the rejection of his word in his own people. As you heard on the tenth Sunday after Trinity, it was a most lamentable event. When the Jews at the feast of the Passover had congregated there from the whole country, so that, as Josephus reports, they numbered about three million people, the Romans came to take the city. Such a mass of people cannot keep well in a small place for any length of time. They had to suffer from the attacks of three powerful enemies. One enemy was war surrounding the city. In the city a dreadful pestilence raged. A severe famine prevailed, so that mothers even killed their own children and prepared and devoured them like other meat. Besides this, there was a frightful dissension among the Jews in the city. During the siege and capture of the city, Josephus states, ten hundred thousand men were killed or died, and ninety-seven thousand were taken captive. These captive Jews were sold, but they were estimated at so low a price that thirty of them could be bought for the eighth part of a gilder. 
Hence it is no empty word which the Savior speaks concerning the siege and capture of Jerusalem. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor whatever shall be. Of this dreadful calamity we should speak to the common people every year, that all might take to heart and learn what sin is, which is the cause of such calamities, and also learn to avoid it. It is easy to conclude that as God did not spare his own people who had fallen into sin, he certainly will not spare us if we do not avoid it. It is true God also is induced to punish the sin of disobedience, murder, adultery, avarice, theft, and other like sins, if a man will not repent and avoid them. But such punishment is light compared with this. God does not take all away, but leaves something. As we see from history, he commonly leaves more than he takes away. But in this case, he takes everything away. Hence the sin also which causes him to do so must be greater and more heinous. What is this sin? The Savior says, Luke 19, that all these calamities shall come upon Jerusalem, quote, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation, end quote. When God's word is not received, but rejected, and when men continue in sin willfully, which was the sin of Jerusalem, then destruction and desolation must follow. God had indeed meant it well with them. He had sent unto them the prophets, John, and at last even his only begotten son and the apostles. All of them had made it their object to teach the people the way to eternal life, to lead such a life that they could have a good conscience here and enjoy God's good grace and blessing. But how did Jerusalem and all the world conduct themselves? They do not want to know or to hear anything of the salvation in Christ. They rather proceed to slaughter the Son of God and the holy apostles and endeavor to save themselves without Christ and his doctrine. It is impossible that God should laugh and not take vengeance on account of this. Just think of it. If you were rich and would find a poor beggar and conclude to help him and would send your son to tell him to come, that you would help him out of all of his misery and make him a rich man, but he would be altogether a wicked knave and would slay your son who brought him such a good message, how would you take such a proceeding? And what kind of relation would you sustain toward him in the future? This is exactly the sin of the Jews by which they had incited such wrath and had earned such severe punishment. This we should most diligently endeavor to avoid. God cannot bear to see us despise and reject his word, which he has given us out of paternal love. The kingdom of Israel was made to experience what the prophet Hosea saith, Israel has cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. Those who refuse the word and grace of God must remain in disgrace and in all manner of heresy. And it is impossible that such a state of things should last any length of time. A total destruction must follow. For this very reason many mon monarchs and kingdoms have been destroyed. Therefore let us, with the greatest of care, avoid all contempt of the word of God. The Jews, for the sake of the gospel, killed Christ and the apostles. The papists today kill many poor Christians and endeavor to suppress the word of God by force. We do not, thank God, commit so great a sin. We wish to retain the word, and yet we observe that in many ways the word is despised if it is not persecuted. God cannot be pleased by your merely going to church and hearing the preaching of the gospel in such a way that you hear it with, with your outward ear only, without being made better thereby in the least. For this very purpose God's word is preached unto you, in order that you may be delivered from sins, be strengthened in your faith in Jesus Christ, and lead a harmless and godly life. 
But because you go on carelessly in covetousness, licentiousness, anger, envy, pride, and other sins, and suffer them to grow on you, as though God had not forbidden them, or you were doing God's service, God can certainly not regard these sins as anything else than contempt, and will, therefore, in due time, inflict severer punishment than you may expect. Hence we should not lose sight of the picture of God's wrath, but adhere to his word with all our heart, attentively hear it, and be bettered by it. For this purpose it is preached. And those who do not change for the better, either despising or persecuting the word, may learn here what calamity will come upon them. For if God did not excuse his own people when they despised and persecuted his word, you certainly should not expect that he will excuse you. For we do not behold merely the kingdom of Israel and Judea, and afterward the holy city of Jerusalem, lie before us in ashes because of these sins, but also Asia, Syria, Egypt, Greece, Macedonia, and other countries, as far as Austria. God's word has dwelt among them richly, but now the Turks have taken possession, who have devastated everything. People lost not only their life and estate, but also their souls, because they were deprived everywhere of the word, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. This calamity they brought about by carelessly losing sight of God's word and doctrine. Let this be a warning for us. The time may not be far distant when the papists also, who despise and persecute the word, and tenaciously cling to their idolatry, shall meet a similar fate. Hence it is high time to amend and to return, for when the wrath of God is once explained on account of these sins, it is not so easily quenched as we see from the example of the Jews. Not merely the terrible wrath, however, should cause us to abstain from these sins, but we should be induced by the friendly warning to adhere to the word, and diligently to hear it, and be benefited by it. Both are here presented. The Jews who reject the word are fearfully punished, whilst those who accept Christ and believe in him enjoy the Lord Jesus and their faith, being warned and escaping the calamities. And more than this, for the sake of these Christians, Daniel had to point out that the signs more than five hundred years before, in order that they might take warning in time to escape before it is too late. Thus far things went on rather unequally. The blind and hardened Jews had actually acted arbitrarily in opposition to the word, and yet they had maintained their supremacy in conducting the government. The poor Christians, on the other hand, had to submit always, being without protection of life and limb. But this lasted only for a little while. When the wrath of God showed itself, the pious were rescued, but the wicked had to suffer and were destroyed. Inasmuch as the wicked mass of the people did not want to accept Christ, as the teacher promised them in Deuteronomy 18, who was to teach them the way to eternal life and salvation, they did not believe him either when he preached about the wrath to come. Believing Christians, however, entrusted themselves for their soul's salvation unto Christ. Therefore they were protected also bodily from the wrath. When the time came that wantonness prevailed in general, and the Romans put their idols and flags in places where the mercy seat and the sanctuary of the Jews stood, then the pious Christians knew that it was time to escape and to flee to distant lands. Thus Christ will reward his Christians who accept his word and faith, and use it for their improvement. This, I say, should induce us to adhere to the word more faithfully, and to hear it with greater devotion. On account of our sins and wickedness, we live in perilous times. The Turks are upon us as our enemies, and there is no way of escape unless we amend and begin a new life. And we have no security against sharing the same fate as the inhabitants of Hungary, whose women and children were led captives into Turkey. There are sad prospects of pestilence, famine, and divisions before us also in Germany. Such scourges are intended for the wicked despisers and persecutors of the word, and they will also have to feel them. 
But those who love and esteem the word of God, hear it with devotion, are benefited by it, oppose the sins of the old Adam day by day, and do not follow the example of the wicked world, but restrain themselves and ask, Why should I, for the sake of a piece of money, refuse obedience to God and his word? Should I not rather, for God's sake, give up ten pieces than injure my soul, and offend God with one piece wrongly obtained? Such people, I say, who adhere to the word, confide their hearts and trust in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, carefully guard against sin, and continue in the exercise of true piety, shall also enjoy the fruit of such piety, while others shall suffer on account of their sins. Therefore we see that Daniel and his own companions, who were pious and did not defile themselves willfully by the sins of the Gentiles, though they were in captive, captivity also, did not suffer so severe a punishment as the impious Jews. Yea, more than this... God exalted them in the midst of their enemies to the position of great lords and enabled them to accomplish much good among the Gentiles. If you remain pious and God-fearing, God also will remember you and will permit you to enjoy the fruits of piety, though it be in Turkey. This we should remember and therefore be pious and obedient to the word of God. The Savior here adds a few words which we should also well note. Pray ye, he says, that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. In winter it is difficult to flee on account of snow and storm. As regards the Sabbath day, the Jews had a law which forbade them on that day to go further than a Sabbath day's journey, or about a mile. Christ urges us to pray. He points to the importance not only of readily and diligently hearing God's word, but also of prayer. Such prayer will occasion and induce God to remember us and to add his blessings and give success to our undertakings. In danger and distress, such as we experience in perilous times like ours, we should not suffer in a, d a day to pass without committing ourselves in prayer to the care and protection of Almighty God, asking Him to be with us and to preserve us in every trouble. So Christ also teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to ask for daily bread, for it is not enough to have food and drink in order to sustain bodily life, we also need peace, good weather, and the like. This petition includes every bodily need. We pray that God would protect us against the Turks and the pestilence, and give us a good year and fruitful harvest. And because Christ commands us thus to pray, we have no reason to doubt that God will graciously hear us and give us everything necessary for body and soul if we pray for it earnestly. This is the first part of our text, that we should diligently hear the word of God, be benefited by it, and never despise and persecute it, because God severely punishes despisers and persecutors, but graciously warns, protects, and delivers those who accept his word and live righteously. The second part, as I have said, also contains a warning with reference to these our latter days. This warning begins where our Lord says, Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. These are dreadful words which we shall carefully take to heart, and the more diligently cling to the word. Our danger is not the same which encompassed Jerusalem, such as war and bloodshed, but it is greater and more serious, such as heresy false doctrine, and false worship, by which we are injured, and not only in body and life, but also as it regards the salvation of our souls, as the Lord says, no man would be saved, except those days should be shortened. Whether we are to expect such blindness in the future before the day of judgment comes, we do not properly know. But when we look back, we observe such great blindness and such dreadful, and as St. Paul calls them, strong delusions, on account of which, if God had not in mercy interfered with the light of his word, no one could have been saved except the little innocent children who died after being baptized and before they arrived at the age of reason. 
For what do we have in popery concerning Christ, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and peace of conscience to which we could have taken refuge? On the other hand, what strong delusions and blasphemous lies were promulgated amongst the people under the garb of truth upon which they were to base their hope of salvation? Therefore I judge that this prophecy of our Lord Jesus about future delusions is in the main fulfilled. And though delusions and darkness will be also in the future, yet they cannot well be greater than any they have already been in popery, as we have seen, and as is their own books will show. Besides, we have no reason to doubt the words. He calls things by the right name, and says what kind of delusion it is. Quote, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they should deceive even the elect. End quote. It is unnecessary here to make a difference between false Christs and false prophets. Yet, because the prophecy corresponds exactly to history, we may without danger make a distinction and apply the name of false Christs to the Turks and their creed, and the name of false prophets to the Pope and his doctrine. For these two powers, the Pope and the Turk, are no doubt the very Antichrist, against whom Daniel, Christ, Paul, John, and other apostles have warned us. The substance of the Turkish creed is that it rejects the true Christ, the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, and puts Mohammed in his place. The Turks believe Christ to have been a prophet, who was of some renown in his day, but that he was not God. Hence, whatever Christians expect of Christ must be expected of Mohammed. And he will save men, and is the favorite prophet of God, above Moses, Abraham, Christ, and all others. These blasphemous doctrines and horrible lies have deceived and carried off the greater portion of the world. We see that all Egypt, Syria, Asia, Greece, Macedonia, and many other countries have this faith and live and die in it, rejecting Christ and trusting the evil Mohammed. This is not done by the Pope. He confesses Christ, the Son of God the Father, and the Son of Mary, to be the eternal God, and does not make another Christ. But he falsifies the doctrine of Christ, for all that we expect from Christ and hope to derive from his merit, he teaches us to expect and to hope from the merits, intercession, and work of the saints, for which reason there were no bounds or ends to the worship of the papists. They held the doctrine concerning which the Lord had said, Lo, here is Christ, or there, behold, he is in the desert, he is in the secret chamber. Why did monks and nuns enter the cloister? Why has one become a priest and another a hermit? Why did men make pilgrimages? Why were masses read? heard or instituted, certainly for no other reason than to make people believe that in this way Christ, that is, God's grace, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life and salvation, may be found. For this reason Christ warns most against the Antichrist who does not institute another Christ nor deny him like the Turks, but who at the same time by false doctrine leads away from the true Christ to the creature and his own work, saying, Believe it not, that is, do not suffer yourselves to be deceived, but adhere to me and cleave to my doctrine and my work and merit alone, and nothing shall harm you. And what has been done? There has been no lack of faithful warning by our Lord Jesus, as we have heard. Behold, he says, I have told you before. All the fault was with us, because we did not heed those warnings, but went on blindly and believed that we were told what we were told, notwithstanding that the Lord had forbidden it, saying, Believe it not, though you see signs and wonders, for true signs and wonders agree with the word of Christ, and do not divert from it. The devil also shows signs and wonders, as Christ here declares and warns. And St. Paul calls them lying wonders, because they support lies, and lead people away from the word of truth. 
the turks today glory in many wonders which mohammed is said to have performed and to still be performing i believe that in part they are wonders but they are not performed by god but by the devil that he may thereby support his lies thus the church of the pope is full of wonderful signs one saint is said to have performed this another to have performed that sign and though many falsehoods have been put in circulation we cannot deny that some wonders have really taken place for Christ himself tells us that those false Christs and false prophets shall show great signs and wonders for the purpose of deceiving the people and of inducing them to hold these lies to be truth. Such signs are not performed by God but by the devil, and him we should not believe. From this you may perceive the foundation of the true doctrine, from which you should not deviate in the least. Note well that the true doctrine points you to Christ and presents him in order that you may be truly comforted against sin and death. This is done by teaching that we should believe Christ to be true, eternal, and almighty God, one with the Father and the Holy Ghost, who has come to us on earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He finally died on the cross, not for his own sins, but for our sins, in order that God might be reconciled and our debt might be cancelled, and that we might arise from the dead and come to the enjoyment of everlasting life. In our behalf, Christ has conquered sin and death, so that these no more can harm us. Now Christ sitteth at the right hand of God, protecting us against the devil, bestowing upon us the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and answering all our prayer, offered in his name for all that we need for body and soul. This is the true doctrine concerning Christ, and agrees throughout with the word, which alone will enable us to resist Antichrist and his lies. When these doctrines are properly lodged within the heart, they will, first of all, induce people to glory in the goodness and grace of God, to love Him with all their heart, and also to live to the honor of this merciful God. They will begin in true earnest to do all that they know to be pleasing to God, and to avoid all that they know to have been forbidden by Him. They are then pious and holy Christians, because they enjoy forgiveness of sins by faith, and live in the fear of God and in obedience to Him. Therefore Christ so earnestly admonishes us to adhere to these doctrines and not listen to anything contrary. He promises to, on his part, that he will not suffer himself to be confined to any other place, but that he will be with us in his word and grace always and everywhere. And though it sounds terrible, that great heresy, darkness, and seduction shall come upon the world, yet we are comforted when he says, Wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That is, my Christian church shall remain with me. And though the devil, the Turk, and the Pope be ever so powerful, they shall not harm my Christians, who adhere to my word. May our merciful God in heaven, through the Holy Ghost, for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ, our dear Lord, grant this to all of us. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's sermon on the text, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 25 his de uh, Jesus' teaching and sermon on the end of time. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon, the 25th sermon of uh, Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity, is the final sermon in this version of the House Postles. And so with this sermon, we come to the end of a year's worth of hearing Luther preach. 
In a couple of weeks, we'll start over with Advent. I'm not going to re-record those sermons, but we might repost them uh, as they've been recorded and go back and pick up a few sermons that we might have missed last year. But I want you all to know that it's been a pleasure reading these sermons to you. It's been a delight for me to hear Luther preaching to me every week, and I hope it has been a delight to you. If you've enjoyed these sermons, I'd love to hear from you. My email is bwolfmuller, that's B-W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R, at gmail.com. Drop me a note and let me know what you think. And may God continue to give us his word that we would be his sheep who recognize the voice of our good shepherd Jesus in the preaching of Luther, in the preaching of faithful pastors all throughout the history of the church, and until the Lord gives us the gift of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. God's peace be with you, and thank you very much. Amen.